You are listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. I am Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas, and we are on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. If you would like to ask a question or send us some feedback, you can reach us at currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. And um, I'm going to have to call out the uh, listeners here, because it's been a few weeks since we've had uh, a, a rating. I don't know on... if we want to advertise that. You may want to act like we've had millions of ratings. Yeah, we, we need folks, we need you to slow down all the ratings. We're getting way too many five-star reviews, and go. it's making... Uh, we, we it, it's it's stroking our ego too mm-hmm. much. So um, we got now, a great review from Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday. Is that how you say his name? I have no idea. Whenever I see his name, I just I, I just just turn my head in despair. Yeah, I was like, I I'm can't. actually not even sure if I say the first name right. It may not Vivek. Be. Yeah, I think I said Vivek. Vivek or Vivek. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like something that would be a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, and Vivek sounds like deep fake. Deep fake? Yeah, deep fake Ramaswamy. You could do Vivek. It's like uh, the doctor be like, well, five milligrams of Vivek uh, twice a week. Yeah, <laughs> that'll get rid of that hemorrhoid. <laughs> please leave us a review. Please, yep, please. leave a review, share with a friend. Uh, Five-star reviews are great. Um, also, uh, King's Domain Conference we've got coming up. So we really want to uh, want you to set aside the couple days, and if you can, commit to coming. I don't think you'll regret it. Mm-hmm. Um I think you'll be very encouraged and edified by the speakers, the content, and the people. Um, there's a great opportunity to to connect and network with other people. That's April 18 to 20, 2024. And uh, so you get some of y'all that, you know, you'll appreciate this, listeners. Um, some guy from our church, I think, uh, well, I'm assuming oh, yeah, it's a guy yeah, from our church. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he created a a, a a URL a redirect redirect MoscowMood.gov so, I believe not gov okay. so you go to MoscowMood.com and that is the that'll take you to our to our conference website so MoscowMood.com and uh, that'll take you to the information we'll drop that in the show notes too um, no they'll remember that you don't need to put that in the show notes. They'll be like IdahoMood.com. Is that IdahoMood? I said I- Idaho Moscow, by the way. Swagger. Is it Moscow? Am I supposed to say Moscow? So if it's Russia, it's Moscow. If it's Idaho, it's Moscow. I wonder if like we're being surveyed now, or surveilled now by like Russian intelligence. Probably like, Russian we, intelligence we and take... Idaho intelligence. Yeah. They're all over us. That's right. All right. So um, today's episode, we're going to uh, talk about an article that Wade wrote uh, for our King's Domain website called Should Women Lead Men? Um, and, uh, it's a very well-written article. I think it's very helpful, but, um, Wade's going to just walk us through, um, some of the, some of the key points that, that he made in the article. And I'll, I'll add some, um, you know, my own questions or, uh, any, any additional commentary. Yeah. So, uh, why don't you take it away, Wade, and, and lead us through this thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the title is Should Women Lead Men? And I'm going to go ahead and give you my answer, uh, and we'll talk about it throughout. And I think it's, it's a straightforward biblical answer. Should women lead men? Generally, no. Um, All right. Thank you for tuning in to the yes. Current Reality Podcast. We'll see and... you next week <laughs> when we do, is ketchup better than mustard? <laughs> um, okay. So I, I started here discussing uh, Nikki Haley, who's running for the Republican nomination for president. And I make the point, most evangelicals uh, are going to be voting for the Republican Party in the 2024 election. So... You know, is is this good and proper that our nominee might be, slim chance, but might be a woman? Um, 
I, I put it this way, it's 2024 for crying out loud. Why shouldn't we nominate a good conservative woman to become our next president? Now, that's yeah. just that's just a recent example of a time of an occasion where we've had to ask this question. I mean, back when I was a kid, Margaret Thatcher yeah. was uh, prime minister of the United Kingdom. So th- this is... this Sarah is Sarah Palin, I remember. Yeah, like, Sarah Palin was... And I remember, like, because I, th- it did introduce some, you know, some, some difficulty with, because she would claim to be an evangelical Christian. Right. I don't know if, how, if that's actually true. Right. She actually seemed more like, you know, somebody we could see in our conservative Baptist churches or something. And so that did, yeah. that kind of created this, this dissonance. But okay, so wait a minute. I, I, I was pretty sure that my Bible and my Christian tradition and my pastor have painted this picture for me of godly womanhood. And yet I've got this lady here who seems pretty pretty sharp mm-hmm. and she might be my vice president what's how do yeah. i deal with that tension yeah so everything about her is you know is, would seem to be like conservative principles right. you know good instincts you know politically so the fact that she's a woman why would that be a problem right it's um, less jarring for Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris. I still don't know how to say her name. I think it's Kamala, but I know I have a friend named Kamala. And so because, but it's spelled differently, but because I have a friend named Kamala, yeah. whenever I see Kamala's name, uh, Kamala is what comes into mind, but I think it's Kamala. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's less jarring for her because she's not of our worldview. And so, um, so he, here's the first point is we did not make the world. So we can be offended by how God made the world. We can disregard how God made the world. We can uh, delight in how he made the world, which is what I'd want you to do. But none of those things that we do is going to change how he actually made it. If he did not make a world where it is good for women to generally lead men, if that's not the pattern he wove into the world, it doesn't matter that we find it offensive. We can't remake it. We cannot turn back the clock and redo what he did on the six days of creation. And we can't start it all over right now and try to rewire it. He made human beings. He made the cosmos, and we're in them. And we play by his rules, or we don't. But the rules ain't changing. And the rules, the rules of the world, meaning you talking about rules about maybe not rules, but like the the way men and women are. Yeah, or? yeah, the way men and women are, but also other features of creation that currently we do seem to be pushing against and trying. So, I mean, for instance, uh, it, it may be, it may be jarring to us or offensive to us that men are stronger than women. We may not like that, but that's how God made the world. And there is no way around it. We may not like it, that it is good for a man and woman who are married to have children and that children who are raised by a man and woman who are married are going to generally do better than children of people who aren't married. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if we don't like it. That's how he made the world. Yeah. Things like that are what I'm getting at. So, yeah, have you seen that? Uh, there's a there's a little clip that's gone there on the internet several times of a cooking show, and you have this girl who is, uh, you know, she's competing in a mm-hmm. competition cooking. And the clock is ticking, and you could see. So she's like frantically, you know, getting her ingredients together, and she goes to open a jar, and she's like, she can't get it open. Yeah, yeah. And she's I've like, not seen this. You've not seen I it. I love it already. Yeah, she can't get it open, and uh, and she's like, she like gets like a a, a butter knife and tries to like break the seal under the the. Is under she the like lid. doing small talk while she's doing it? Like- no, no, no. It was, it was like. She's she's dialed in and focused because she has oh, a man. very compressed. Limit. I feel bad for her. Yeah. Well, you've got this this little 
kitchen is in a studio and yeah. kind of elevated above is the studio audience. And in the studio audiences are her parents. And uh, so I, I don't know the show or the rules of the competition. Yeah. But after she does this for about 30 seconds, she's not getting anywhere. She runs over to her dad, oh. hands the jar to her dad. He's like, pops it right open, hands it to her. And she go, she comes running back. And That's it's just beautiful. like, yeah. And it's just like, she's doing what yeah. she's passionate about. And, right. but she ran into this obstacle yeah. and like what you say, it's beautiful. It is beautiful because God made the world to where women are good at certain things. Right. Typically men are good at certain things typically. And whenever we, whenever we align our lives to right. that, we, things tend to go well. It's a fallen world. Obviously it's not perfect, but it tends to go better That's right. when we honor the way God made the world. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a, a modern example of this uh, at scale is Scandinavian countries, which are thoroughly egalitarian, maybe the most egalitarian countries on earth, still have trouble getting a sufficient number of women into the STEM fields. Now, is that is that because their egalitarianism just needs because another STEM five? STEM is sexist. Yeah. No, I mean, so they, they do everything they can to get women in these fields. The reality is men and women are different. They are inherently different. Yeah. And so by and large, women are going to be inclined to certain kind of endeavors and men are going to be inclined to certain kinds of endeavors. And we can, we can you know, get all huffy about that. It doesn't change reality. That's, yeah. that's kind of the first main point I want to make is be offended if you want, but you're not going to be able to change it. And so if God has made a world where it is not generally good for Nikki Haley's to be the leaders of societies, then our offense won't change it. And that's my argument is, and I think it's it's a fairly obvious teaching of Scripture, and I think for most of human history, it was fairly obvious just from observation of the world that God did not generally make women to lead nations or to lead societies or to lead massive institutions of human enterprise. Uh, and that's, we see it in scripture right from the beginning when he created Adam first mm -hmm. and then created Eve as his helper. So there was this, before the fall, he had a job, a vocation for a man. He created the man first to do that vocation, to fulfill it. And then from his side, he created a helper without whom Adam would not have been able to do at least some of the task, because some of the task was be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the earth. He would not have been able to do that without Eve. But Eve was not the initiator. Eve was not the primary one responsible. Eve was not the, the leader for, uh, of the enterprise, of the endeavor. So right from the beginning, you have a pattern before the fall of, of how the world is actually made when it comes to men, women, and who leads. Yeah, I, well, I would say as an extension of... If you say like maybe a more extreme version of the denial of reality that you're talking about between men and women is transgenderism. Yeah. Which I think is, is directly downstream of feminism. Yeah. You know, feminism is the I the at least the promotion and celebration of this idea that the sexes are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Transgenderism just takes it to the next step, which uh, says they literally are interchangeable and actually one can become the other or vice versa. And we can make new ones. Yeah, make new new sexes, new genders. Yeah, but it's but these these ideas are connected. Yeah, um, and so it's a it, it is it is and so whenever I see transgenderism, I've I've always just think that you're living a fiction and you're trying to impose a fiction on your body. Yeah, and and not only on your own body, but everybody else is required to go along with your fiction. And yeah. the political realities of our world is just that you know if you if you oppose that, then you're the hateful bigot. Nevertheless, it's like 
this is not good. No, because- and you'll see that with gay men who now are trying to rent wombs in order to have children. God did not make a world where two men, I mean, I, I don't want to be crass because we've got maybe kids listening, but two men cannot produce a baby, and that's how God made the world. Right. Two men trying to have intercourse with each other are going to hurt each other over time, yep. not produce life. Right. And so now you've got men trying to rent wombs, even if our black arts are be able are able to, you know, our sorcery is somehow able to gift men with children they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to raise healthy children the yeah. way a covenanted man and woman would be. That again, we're 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 beating our fists against a wall. We cannot move. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it's like uh, gravity wins is my shorthand it, yep. for, for this kind of thing all the time. You, you can you can walk off the ledge of the building and just declare that you're a seagull. It's not going to change the fact that... I'm offended that this force pulls me to exactly. the earth and breaks my neck. <laughs> yeah, but you're right, transgender. So I would say feminism and the whole LGBTQ nonsense, all of it really, uh, to my estimation, it boils down to anger at God for how he made the world. Yeah, You have a particular desire, sexual perversion, a deviancy, something you want. You're angry that God did not make a world where that is normal and good and beautiful, and therefore you're going to rebel against it loudly and demand that everybody else declare your rebellion good and beautiful and proper. Yeah. It's not. The anger, I think there's a a correlate to it. Uh, Probably one leads to the other would be envy. It's a, it's a, it's, it's like I see, a, a, a man uh, envies a woman's body, mm-hmm. envies whatever the feminine characteristics, envies that and desires that and wants to be something other, and so has no gratitude to God for the givenness of his own body, Yeah, but rather envies some other body that he doesn't have, discontent, and whenever he runs into that brick wall of reality, there's an anger directed towards the one who made the world this way. Right. And... But God made the world this way for a reason, because he's a good God and he creates good things and the Heavenly Father. All every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. But we we well, I want to add other, one other thought in here because I've I've thought, you know, about I've thought about the difference between rebelling against reality and taking dominion. Mm-hmm. So taking dominion is shaping the world and changing it, altering it. Um so you, we say a moment ago, gravity wins. You can't walk off the edge of a building and be a seagull. Not wrong to build planes. Right. So what about an airplane? And I think that the fundamental difference is one is is trying to work within and you honor the givenness of the world. Right. You say the world works with certain rules, and that's why conservatism as a principle or concept works, because it says there are rules, there's structure and order. It's repeatable, it's predictable, because the God who made it is uh, predictable and mm-hmm. ordered it this way. So therefore, I can take what we have, what's been given, and put things together and fashion it in such a way to create something that can uh, make life easier uh, or make things more efficient and optimize it. That's a good thing. If you're doing it in such a way that is rebelling against it, um, you might even be able to get a step or two down the road. But ultimately, reality will win. Yeah. And so I think with feminism, that is that is in that realm of you can get a step or two down the road. Yeah. Because it's not always completely obvious that this is that this is a denial of reality the way transgenderism is. I think it's it's an animal of the same species but a different kind. That that's what that's what we're talking about here. So the idea when you say a woman, it's not good to, for a woman to lead a man. 
there may be instances where that doesn't exactly line yeah. up with your experience, and we'll get into the details of that. Yeah. But if you just think generally the way God made the world, God made the world in such a way where men, it's good for men to take the lead. It's good for women to go along and to follow and help and support men taking the lead and to encourage that. Um, and so it's that's that that isn't a denial of reality. Even when there's outliers or exceptions, we're not that doesn't constitute a denial of reality. Um, and a lot of times it could be, um, you know, there's there there are ways to work within that that isn't. And even in a fallen world that doesn't yeah. deny the reality. No, God did not create a world of disconnected, disjointed, isolated bits that we all just, every time we encounter some new phenomenon, we just have to re. It's a world of patterns. Mm-hmm. And those patterns will always have exceptions. I probably would have had uh, wrinkles and exceptions even without sin and death, but certainly have exceptions with sin and death. And so I would say it is not good for a child to lead his or her parents. And we would all say, that's good, that's, that's true. And then we could find some exception where you have you know, some uh, single father who is an alcoholic, who has a, a Christian 10-year-old, who is somehow able to lead her dad into the church on Christmas Eve, and her dad finally repent, repents at her urging. And well, this child, well, so Wade, do you, do you not believe that that little girl should have done that. Should she should she have just? Well, no. That's that's an exception. That's a wrinkle within. But that doesn't negate hmm. the pattern, right? Or even the exceptions, they're noteworthy because they're exceptions. Exactly. That's why they make good stories. That's why they they catch our attention because they they break the pattern. But they break the pattern in a way that's interesting and entertaining. A lot of. But I think it's it's become a subversion to where the exceptions now dictate. The norms, and that's absurd. Like, I'm mean, literally, it will result in absurdity. Um, I mean, I, I I know parents that refuse to correct their children. I, I know one in particular that's coming to mind. This is her parenting philosophy: is to use the word "no" as little as possible. <laughs> and I'm like, you are raising a tyrant, a right. hellion. This child is is th- this is not good for the child because the child is is experiencing a world without boundaries or limits, and it's like, right. and only in the most extreme cases will she tell her her daughter no, um, and, and so it's like the child the child is leading, and uh, this this idea of do everything for the children like listen to the children this you know and that's like a that's like yeah. a story um, motif yeah where the children have the answers we need to listen to the children they're more pure and innocent and they have wisdom that we don't know and you know us grown ups were just that's what Disney tells me Disney by the way which is run by adults. <laughs> You know they don't have a they don't have a nine year old CEO. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's bring all the Disney children right. into the board. Let's let, let them do our let, tax let, accounting. Now, why don't you uh, run the computer animation? Right. You know, it's like, of course not. No, and see this this stuff it, it is eventually self defeating because it leads to absurdity. Um, but the Book of Proverbs is a point blank example and proof of the fact that God made a world that has repeatable patterns in it, and that is that's not constraining the way a straitjacket would be for somebody who's not really insane and being wrongly uh, committed. Mm-hmm. It's instead constraining the way an embrace is or constraining the way uh, guardrails on, yeah. a, on a dangerous highway are. It's constraining in the way that rules are in a happy and godly home. It's constraining in a good way. Yeah. Um, so but Yes, constraining the way a fish is constrained to water. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, like we, a, that's it, where you live and thrive. It goes with our nature, and our nature is God-given. Yeah. Um, okay, so l- the next point then is if if uh, 
if I'm talking to mostly Christians here, then a good number of you may say, okay, well, fine, I'll grant you the, the clear biblical commands of a husband being the head of his wife and pastors being men, pastors only being men. I'll, those are obvious enough in Scripture that we'll grant those, Wade, but we're not going to go any further. And my, my argument to that person is, if you say, okay, God does allow only men to be pastors and he does want men to lead their families, but everywhere else, it's just as good for a woman to lead the thing as a man. It's just as good for women to lead men as men to lead women in business and in military and in uh, government and in, in all other endeavors. You're making God arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Why? If, if men and women are identical and it's just as good for them to lead each other, it's just as good for a woman and normal for a woman to lead a man as a man to lead a woman, then why did he assign men to lead homes and men to lead churches? You're making it as though God flipped a coin. Yeah. Heads its guys, tails its ladies. Okay, for church, it came up heads. All right, now we'll do home. Up, oh, came up heads again. What do you know? All right, now we'll just, the world at large, we'll just let all, anything goes. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's not the case. Yeah, so the question there, is there something, are, are those rules or, pro, or, or prohibitions in Scripture about, uh, say, the, 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 the headship of a husband in a home and the male eldership in a church, are those merely rules that God put in there as a test, or it's like, hey, we got to have a tiebreaker here, we got to mm. put somebody in charge, so I'm just going to, like you say, flip a coin, or is there something in the way that he made man and in something the way that he made woman that those rules are evidences of. That's where the iceberg pokes yeah. above the waterline. And now you and I both would obviously agree that, yes, there are there is a nature yes. of man and a nature of woman that is the way God made the world. And where we see these explicit commands or instructions, that's evidence of the way he made the world rather than arbitrary impositions right. on an otherwise egalitarian planet of men and women that are otherwise equally suited and qualified to do everything the same. Yeah. And the textual way you can know what you just said, that it corresponds to an actual thing and it's not arbitrary, one of the textual ways, is that in both of the passages, in both of the, the sections of Scripture where church and home, men leading, is most expansively displayed, First Timothy and Ephesians. In both of them, he, he, he quotes, he goes back to Genesis 1 and 2, yeah. in both of them. Um, and, so, and Jesus does the same thing when he describes marriage. So it's because God made man a certain way and then made woman to be his helper in the calling to take dominion. It's because of that that men are to lead in the church and men are to lead in their homes. And because it's before the fall, because it's how he made us before sin entered the world, you know it's not because of some defect right. in women. It's rather how he made men and women and how he made them to fit together. Yeah. And so one of the one of the maybe like uh, not not as talked about aspects of this is how we're we're not actually helping women by expecting them to be men. Right. By expecting them to take on male leadership qualities. And obviously the women who are fighting for those things in many cases are in sin by fighting for them. I'm not letting them off the hook. But there is also a reality to if, if you've got a 16, a 17, an 18, a 19-year-old daughter and you're constantly sort of explicitly or implicitly pushing her towards getting a master's degree, uh, getting a PhD, going into some professional field, maybe getting married when she's 30, but probably, you know, 
eventually having one kid and having a good career behind her or being in the midst of a good career by the time Mm -hmm. that kid shows up, you're a part of the problem here. That's not how God generally made women to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I've got some thoughts, but I'll save them for... Well, so, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll bring up a lot of people who, who want to charge, okay, it's not, it's not society-wide weight, it's just these two. They'll bring up Deborah. And so, not Deborah Messing from Will & Grace, everybody, but Deborah from... <laughs> Deborah from... You don't have to give the polite laugh anymore. His daughter... <laughs> pointed out that you do the polite laugh when I. Oh so, no! It's yeah, uh, there you go. It's That's mostly great. genuine. That's great. That's great. <laughs> okay, so Deborah myself, <laughs> or uh, yeah, so Deborah in Judges four and five, is it is an example of a woman who, in some capacity, led Israel, uh, and Barak, the military leader, comes to her and he he has his marching orders and he'll only go if she comes with him and um. And so people will say, well, look, Deborah was clearly judging Israel. She was clearly ruling Israel. There's a couple of things I'd say to that. For one, setting aside the fact that Deborah rebukes him in verses 8 through 9 for not going to battle unless she goes with him, and setting aside the fact that in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews identifies Barak as the hero of the story, not Deborah. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, Why the fact that everyone goes to this two-chapter story in Judges is itself telling. If if, uh, God is equally pleased with women leading generally in society as with men leading generally in society, why do we have to scour the scriptures to find Mm -hmm. an example? Instead, it's vastly more plausible to see this story of the prophetess Deborah as an outlier that God occasionally allows for in the world, not a template to be normalized. Um, to the the way I put it here was to seek out God see, to seek out Deborahs to regularly lead society is to seek out a world God didn't make. To try to normalize women leading men is to try to normalize the aberrant. So I what I what I would anticipate is an objection to this is okay Old Testament Deborah that's Israel God's people that's a covenant nation so obviously there's a civil order that would be imposed there but now the the places in the New Testament era that are explicitly Christian is the home and the church. And so since Christians aren't in charge of, you know, every nation necessarily, yeah. then um, then those things there's there's no need for instruction there because that's sort of outside. But what that I'll, I'll give you my response, yeah. at least one response to that, but I, I'm I'm sure you have other thoughts. What that tends to do is it says like, okay, well, the rules or or the the order of of creation the the way god made the world only applies right. in the church and only applies in the home so therefore you can't murder anybody in church right. you can't murder anybody in home you can't lie in church you can't lie at home but those things are perfectly okay or at least we have to tolerate it in the civil society because well we don't have any authority there that's not really uh, our place you know the government's going to do its own thing or you know or you can you can't murder at uh, you know it, it doesn't apply at work in the workplace or whatever right it basically says that there's the way god made the world only implies in these two places but rather god or paul is giving instruction that these are the places that that have most direct bearing on the life of a christian but the there's implications from that but also other other text of scripture that could be used to say like no it applies everywhere yes um so there 
even even in the instances where there might be some reason, like a Deborah in instance, which I would argue that Deborah's a judgment for Israel's failure. Yeah, the, the failure of Israel's men to step up and lead. And so God said, "Fine, if that's what it is, you're going to you'll be led by a woman, and there mm-hmm. will be shame upon you associated with that." But it, um, it anyway, just like that, we, we the way God made the world applies everywhere, and yeah. not just in you know, the most explicitly Christian areas. But that's exactly, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I would say. So, and I think it's it's straight from the Bible. I'll read you Romans 13 to kind of make my point. But God, first, I'll just say, God made the soil on which America sits. He made every heart that's beating in America right now. He, ha- Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's the implication there? Because I have authority over the nations, I can send you into the nations. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to God. He owns every square inch of the cosmos. And so we don't know, personally, I, I think that is a way to cop out and to try to keep your pretty good white-collar job in a post-Christian society. I think yeah. it's a way for you to feel like you're not a coward when you're being a coward. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, if, if I were to give it the most charitable spin, let's say the, the best version of that objection might be I don't want to bind consciences or um, I, don't want, I don't want to be legalistic. I, I can imagine somebody saying, even though I disagree with them, I can imagine them saying that and, and feeling like they're not, they're not trying explicitly to be cowardly or to just abdicate, but, but they don't, they don't want to, to, they don't want to moralize yeah. or, you know, push what would, what would seem to be explicitly Christian moral, moral okay. commandments in areas that are, you don't even have a, a Bible verse that says women should not be CEOs thus saith the Lord. So, so I think it's, it's, it's a reticence to, to apply what Westminster Confession calls good and necessary consequence um, in all of life. Here's where I'll grant that person then that they're not a coward. If they don't consider William Wilberforce a hero. Yeah. There's no scripture that says all slavery in all times and places is evil. Abolish it. Yeah. So if you agree, okay, I can't, you know, it's a good and necessary consequence that we shouldn't have the slave trade, but I can't, you know, I can't, I can't just put that on civil English society. So William Wilberforce, we really, you really shouldn't be doing that. If you're consistent there, but if you consider William Wilberforce a hero, and if you consider Dietrich Bonhoeffer a hero, and if you consider uh, Sojourner Truth or Harriet Tubman heroes, then you're showing me that when the when the bullets aren't flying, you do consider Christian courage on things that require a, a little bit of legwork. Mm-hmm. You got to connect some dots. You got to look for patterns, and you got to say, okay, the slave trade is evil. I don't have a verse that tells me the slave trade is evil, but it's evil, and I'm gonna fight against it. If you're gonna if you're gonna say that is good and proper, then it is cowardly to yeah. then check out when it comes to other patterns. But yeah. it's 2023 America. Yeah. Um, here's Romans 13, uh, just a couple verses. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. He writes this to people in Imperial Rome. Mm-hmm. In Imperial Rome, you know that Colosseum down the street from where you're reading this letter? 
the guys who made that, they have no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, for you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. He's God's deacon. He's God's diakonos. He's God's minister. Um. There is, there is no, Paul did not mean some natural law God, some vague like first principle, the prime mover. He yeah. meant Yahweh. Yeah. He meant the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He meant Jesus Christ. So Paul is not going to abide this idea that like, well, you know, over here we've got Jesus. Over there, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a vacuum. It's a, it's a moral vacuum. Who's to say? So... Um, a couple of other biblical points here to make. God never appoints a queen to rule over Israel or Judah. The only ruling queen is a temporary usurper and murderer, Adaliah. God does not call a woman as one of the prophetic writers of Scripture. He does not call a woman to be one of his 12 apostles. These biblical realities are not our arbitrary results of chance or of God's fearful accommodation to outdated, antiquated gender beliefs that he's glad we've now evolved past. They are manifestations of how he's really made men, women, and the world around them. I just want to interject something here. Yeah. Um, what there there is an unspoken assumption. It, it, it's manifest, but it's not always stated explicitly in a lot of. It's certainly in businesses and in our society where, um, in under if, if women are represented in leadership positions or civil ruler positions or whatever. Um, if they have fewer seats of those positions, then that is somehow a result of a misogyny or so that, that much is explicit. But the, the, the remedy is just like the, you need to have you need, the way to honor women is to make sure that they occupy at least an equal number of all of these positions. Yeah. I see this in churches, especially where there's this, even if it's not stated out in the open, I think it's it's an assumption that we've just absorbed from the DEI mindset of our whole world, and that is like if you want to honor women, you got to make sure that they're got faces on the website, and you got to have you know position key positions of mm-hmm. uh, responsibility or authority. Um, and some churches, some church structures, you want to make sure you've got a number of pastors, women pastors. Um, and it's just like, and, and then some, they kind of, they find an end around where, uh, it's not, it's not explicitly stated, uh, or you have like pastor. So like husband and wife pastor teams Mm -hmm. where it's like, she is, she is presumed to be, um, a co lead pastor with her husband, things like that. And it's assumed that 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 the the value, the currency of value, is leadership. It's like the way that you honor somebody, the way that you respect them, dignify them, show them that what they're worth is you make them leaders of stuff. Right. Um, and that's that. Th- there's no evidence in scripture one that that that's just that's a foreign. No, concept that's like saying you're not honoring a screwdriver unless you use it to as a hammer. Yeah, but, but I think because of the that shows what we value. And what what we value is being in charge of stuff. Yeah, that's 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 what we really treasure. And so, if somebody feels they're deprived of it, they would envy it, they would resent it, resent yeah. God for making the world this way, or resent men, the men who are in charge, and 
a blame motive of misogyny or hatred or whatever. And it's like there's there's so much that's baked into it, and it really it is it is destructive in churches. Um, and if it, it's it is for for faithful men who are just trying to obey scripture, like hey, this is what the text says. We need to obey God. We need to recognize we did it. Men who do that faithfully, uh, which I I would say that's what you and I are striving to do in our church. They're they're going to be subject to all sorts of accusations and attacks of evil when the thing that they're doing is good and loving. So it's like we it's like because we love the women in our church, yeah, we want to take the responsibility that God has called us to take and provide the leadership that God has called us to provide. And that is not hatred for them. That is not depriving them of something they deserve. It is honoring them as the weaker vessel. That's what First Peter three says. Right. And that's not an insult to them. That's that's like, it's like saying like there is a different glory for you to pursue. Um, there is a different honor that God has reserved uniquely for you as you embrace feminine vocations. And we want to honor and celebrate that. Which I believe we do that pretty well in our church. We honor and celebrate feminine uh, glories, feminine beauties, feminine vocations. And we want to make sure it's like that is held up as esteemed in high regard because we don't just traffic in leadership as the only currency of value. Um, and then again, there's a lot of men that don't lead either. You know, so it's not like, yeah. it's not like every, all men have to lead and all in the church. You no. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'll speak to that last point in a second, but to the first part, yes, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, this is why I think feminism at its core is contempt of womanhood. It hates what womanhood actually is. God and the biblical authors, Peter, when he says, honor the woman as the weaker vessel, even Paul, when he says hard things, like it is shameful for a woman to speak in church, honor women as women. They love womanhood as God actually made it. But feminism despises womanhood as God actually made it. And I think the thing it holds in most contempt is motherhood. Yeah. So it does not, the thing that Paul holds up as a beautiful uh, archetype of womanhood is in 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 10. So he's, de- he's describing a godly widow, but the things he describes are godly feminine characteristics. Yeah. He says in verses 9 through 10 uh, of 1 Timothy 5, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Okay, Timothy, I want you to find good women, good widows. Make sure they're widows who are godly. Here's how you'll know them. Here's the thing. Here's what they'll smell like. Here's what... They're old. Yeah, they're old. No, but I mean, so feminism despises that entire composite. You know, it might be able to extract like little Mm -hmm. words that it would be okay with, but that composite of a woman who like Ruth or like Abraham's wife, Sarah, two, two of the archetypes of godly femininity brought up in scripture. You know, Peter uses in first Peter three, Sarah as the archetype and Ruth has a whole book about her story. Both of them, sweet, gentle, tender, um, submissive to their own husbands, fearing the Lord uh, with feminine faith and courage. So they did have courage, each of them in their own way, but it was a feminine faith and courage, Mm -hmm. especially Ruth when she lays herself at Boaz's feet. Feminism hates that composite. It hates that image. And we love that image. That's, we love womanhood, the thing God actually made as womanhood, whereas feminism just fetishizes masculinity in women. 
Yeah. If, if a woman's not a CEO, if she's not an astronaut, if she's not Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I got no time for her. Yeah. I mean, I'll pat it. I'll pat the idea of stay-at-home moms on their head and say that's cute too. But yeah. really, we want our movies to be about, you know, women making it to Mars. Yeah, and taking over Fortune 500 companies and <laughs> or beating up villains, you know, in a Marvel. Right. I mean, I mean, well, yeah, so like, if an indie film comes out about a stay-at-home mom, you you already know what. What's going to happen? It's going to show us how trying and how exhausting. She's her, a victim in right. some way. She's being mistreated right. and oppressed in that condition. But the flip side, if if a movie comes out about a woman, you know, code breaker in World War II or something, you know where the musical swells are going to be. It's going to be about her occupation and her vocation and how she overcame all odds to be some sort of institutional leader or some trailblazer in a masculine field. Your feminism is catechizing us. Absolutely. That, that womanhood as God made it is contemptible and gross and beneath females mm -hmm. and that masculinity is the thing they should strive for. We need more women gladiators. Yeah. That's what, that's what it's catechizing us to believe. And it's despicable. Whenever you say catechize, that's the right word. Um, if we think of catechism, you know, in the Christian sense, you know, it's typically question and answer, uh, what is the chief end of man, and yeah. there's an answer, and so forth. But um, those question and answers are not merely to fill the minds of learners with data, but rather it is to to train instincts. Yeah. Um, so like when you think of God, some of the first things that come to mind might hopefully be the answers to the catechism questions, mm -hmm. which which form desire. And I would say the way the world is catechized, or way the feminism has catechized us, is the thing that we that we that we're inclined to, that our hearts are drawn to as what is true and beautiful and good yeah. is a distortion of femininity. So that way, when we encounter a distortion, even though God would say, this is not good, um, there's something, there's some appeal to it. And whenever we encounter true godly femininity, there's something revolting about it. And that's even, and this will happen with Christians who know their Bibles very well. Yeah. And I would say, Christians, uh, Christian women who go to BSF, yeah, and they know all the Bible verses, they know all the studies, they can they can exegete and do the analysis and the hermeneutics, yep. they can do all that. But at the heart level, yes, what their inclinations, their desires are oriented towards is a vision of femininity that is not biblical and not good. They are more embarrassed of being a stay at home mom than they are of their friend who is a childless executive. Yep, and a good evidence of this is that. They they will themselves do the good feminine thing because I've I've known so many uh, women who do the things that we would we would uh, mm -hmm. venerate um, is that the right word yeah. we would we would honor which is um, keepers at home submissive to their husbands um, or at least they're they're prioritizing their husbands yeah. so I, I've known lots of women who home educate their children and not that that's the standard no I know what you mean but but that Titus too that they, they, yeah that's they're how they, doing the home yeah. thing and yet. They get viscerally angry whenever you give any sort of indication that that is something that other women who are not doing that should aspire to, because they want to vigorously right. defend this alternate vision of femininity. And I think it's because they want it for themselves, but they're embarrassed to advocate for it or promote it right. with other women. Why are you angry in that direction? Why are you offended in that direction? And we need to be honest and say it's because we learned our secular catechisms. That's right. That's we we were all taught this way, and I still have to fight it too. But I want to give you hope if you're raising children. It you can children 
uh, especially when you teach them the true story, the way the world was actually made. Children can receive this and escape what what we were not able to, and we have to retrain our instincts. So mm-hmm. um, my daughter, this was like four years ago, my oldest daughter. Uh, no, more than that. She was like, she's 12 now. And she was probably like seven or eight. And we were, we were at, uh, when I was a member of a different church, we were at that church. And uh, she was, I think, getting ready to be baptized or something. And they were having her give her testimony. And my friend was the lead pastor. And uh, he's, he's, one of, he's like a playful kind of jokey guy, you know. So he's, he, he would never actually have a woman preach. He believes what we believe, believes the Bible. But he was just, he's folksy and jokey. And he was like, Ellie, you, you probably going to preach up here someday, aren't you? And Ellie said, no, I'm not a boy. <laughs> and I had ne- I, I honestly don't think up to that point we had ever really even explicitly gotten to why God only calls men to be elders and men to be pastors. But just from, we read the Bible every night. Mm-hmm. We go to churches where the Bible is believed. Like just, just from swimming in this good, clean, pure biblical water. Mm-hmm. Her heart had been trained in what is good and what is proper for both men and women. And she just instinctually, no, I, I mean, you know, she laughed yeah. a little bit because she knew he was la- he was joking, but that really was her gut level, deep yeah. instinctual response. I thought of this with, um, I've had people ask me about, you know, why did you write the book on sexuality that you wrote, and what what are you aiming at? What what is the outcome that you desire? And that's that's a good question because the I was I was asked that while I was writing it, and I was like, you know, I that's that's good for me to think about because I was. You know, I was, I was thinking about ideas and I was processing and I'm writing and I'm just, I'm getting thoughts out, but I, I needed to really have a, a vision in mind that I'm like, this is what I'm promoting. And that's when I really, it started to crystallize in my writing that at the, at the end of the day, what I really want is for men and women to delight in being a man and woman. Absolutely. And to be like, and to be... Why would you want to be anything else? If you're a woman, why would you ever want to be anything else? Right, but but there's... There's this, uh, there, there's just this sense of, I think there's a shame. There, there, yeah. There's a shame and embarrassment um, about. I, I think it afflicts. I think it afflicts men and women differently. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm kind of processing this verbally. What I, what I want to say, and you can see if you have a different take on it. What I want to say is, it's men, men are more apt to like want to be a man because we're, we hear this be a man messaging. You don't hear this be a woman messaging. That's, yeah. that's really foreign. And so the definition of womanhood is, is not as clear. Um, and so there is a sense of embarrassment. Um, and so women, I think there, there tends to be more of a being ashamed of, of feminine vocations, especially because masculine vocations are what are valued. And then there's this getting offended on behalf of any woman who does something different. Yeah. Um, and I, I think women in particular are perhaps uniquely tempted to be offended on behalf of other women who do it different. Yeah. Because they don't want to say this is, they don't want to really commit themselves fully to the, now that doesn't mean be judgy, but it just, it just means it's like, it's okay to, um, to, to love and delight in what you do and to see this is a good thing. Um, I mean, I think that goes to, I think I would say just as men are likelier to have fits of rage, women are likelier to be offended, period. I think that's how God made us. Women are, generally speaking, more emotionally 
inclined. They feel things very deeply. Men, generally speaking, are more on the rational, logical end of things. And a besetting sin of most men is, you know, these brief outbursts of anger Mm -hmm. that then kind of fade away. You don't stew in it for days and days. You don't man, why did I feel that way? Why did I feel angry? Let me journal about why I felt angry and then examine my feelings about why I was angry. Like you, you punch the wall and then you, you know, huff and puff and go to Home Depot and get some spackle and fix it and apologize to everybody (laughs) and you move on. Like that's, so I, I think taking offense, I mean, anybody who has been in ministry or anybody who has had sons and daughters can see the phenomenon of, intense feeling in women. And I think that intense feeling can play out, that that prolonged intense feeling of women. And that being able to think about how somebody else might react and then to impute motives maybe to somebody across from you. The, why did the pastor pick him instead of her? Why did, like that that yep. sort of thing is is a more feminine trait than it is a masculine trait. Um, that's another thing that you can, you can be bothered by, but I just think it's self-evidently true. Yeah, so let me uh, get your thoughts on this, Wade. Um, what are the things that you... Could you identify some things that... Um, why? What, what are the things that are unique about men or women that would lend men to being, um, to, to being the leaders yeah. in society out in front? So... I, I'll start with the ones that I think are more more obvious from Scripture, and then there are others that I think uh, you can just observe as a, as a human being with a God-given mind. Uh, in Scripture, clearly, God made Adam first, so there's a priority to him. Um, and I think that priority is exhibited in what Adam and then the other archetypal masculine heroes in Scripture are like, D- whether they're David, Moses... Uh, Paul, they they have a sort of sturdy, uh, courageous faithfulness that prompts them to the front. You know, so Moses intercedes for the people of God. Lord, you know, you, you said you're going to wipe them off, uh, but just send me with, take me with them. Then I don't I don't want you to make a new nation of mine. You know, the, the yeah. nations around here are going to hear what you did and how you brought these people out of Egypt. You know, he intercedes for the people. He steps forward, Lord you know, account me with them, do whatever you're going to do to them, to me as well. Uh, and then David, similarly, at the end of his life, when uh, God is punishing all Israel with a plague because of David's sins, Lord, these poor sheep, what are they, you know, and David intercedes for the people. That is a, that sort of stepping to the front, because God made Adam first, that sort of stepping to the front is a, is a masculine, uh, it's inherent to godly masculinity. And generally speaking, godly men are going to want to do it. And if you expect women to do it, you are expecting women to go against their nature and you're putting them at risk because God did not make them to do it. God did not make women to be at the forefront of the battle, to be the tip of the spear. And I mean literal battle and I mean metaphorical battle. So that's one thing, the, the male instinct. And I've seen this in my boys. I'm sure you've seen it in your boys. You've got two boys who play sports, football, basketball. Guys want to, generally speaking, when their masculine juices are flowing in the right ways, they want to get into the fray, yeah. into the conflict, yeah, not the, the, pull back. I, I love Doug Wilson's definition. Um, masculinity is the, I think it's the glad responsibility. Glad, glad assumption. Glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Yes, yes. And that is that is not just a, here's something to go do. Here's a rule for you. But he's just like, that's that's at the heart right. of whatever whatever this masculinity thing is. That's at the heart of it. 
You see it in Christ. See it in Christ, yes. And you you see it in good men who are willing to throw themselves at something that they really believe in. Right. Uh, and it, it would not... So here's a, here's a good way to kind of picture this in your mind, saint who knows his Bible or knows her Bible. If we saw a man throw himself in the scriptures or a man who was, who was, who was godly uh, throw himself into harm's way to save women and children, we would think that was good. And we would not think the woman was sinning by not doing it for him. Yeah, she is not judged. Exactly. But that. now flip it. And if you see a woman throwing herself into harm's way while the man does not, we all know, all of us who knew our Bibles and frankly, all of us who are just not psychopaths, <laughs> know that something was wrong there. Yeah. That's not how it should be. And why, that, why didn't he step up? Exactly. Because you know he needs to protect her. Exactly. And that right there, that that is a part of why men are called to lead. They are called to lead because they are going to have to be the tip of some spear. And it's a different length of spear for every guy, probably. But if you have a wife, you're at the very least going to be the tip of your household spear. And I think that's why God gifted men with superior strength. Yes. So they have so these are that's that's a clear biblical one I brought up. But now, yeah, let's just look at ones you can see in the world. Here are things that God clearly made in men. They are taller, they are physically stronger, their voices are deeper, they think generally speaking more logically and rationally and less emotionally and about what will hurt whose feelings. Yeah. All of those things We're more aggressive. They're not mistakes. Okay, they can be complicated by the fall, but they are not mistakes. That is how God made men to be. And anybody with a who knows a good godly household, I think, can see how these things yep. they complement each other. I I don't I've I've soured on the word complementarianism, but that aspect of it is actually true. Men and women do complement each other. They fit I think compl- compliment, complimenting one another is a good adjective. It's yeah. not a good noun. Yes, very good. Um, so all of those things. Uh, and also, by the way, men, all of us who have daughters uh, know that we do not want them marrying a man who won't take initiative. If he's not going to come to the door, if he's not going to come talk to dad, if he's not going to pay, if he's not going to hold... You don't want that guy dating your daughter. You don't yeah. want a guy. Now, if a, do we want women taking initiative to date our sons? Am I going to be like, oh, man, she didn't come up and open the door for, for my, my 19-year-old son. I don't know how I feel about her. Yeah. No, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, it's funny. It's like I, I, I've, I'll notice in media, TV shows or whatever, that that is kind of held out there. It's, it's like I've seen like, you know, love stories or whatever. It's yeah. like... Uh, she's asking for his number and she'll be like, Hey, I'll call you. Or he'll be like, Hey, you're going to call me. It's like, yeah. I've, I've seen things like that. It's I'm weird like, and stupid. It, 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 it's, it's bizarre. Yes. It's like, why are you trying to cram this down our throat? Right. Something that is, there's another show I, I started watching the other day. It's a British, you know, crime detective mm. kind of thing. And uh, I've noticed a ton of these British shows. There's all, it's like a female detective. And so it's like, she's, I, I, I don't know. It, I, maybe it's just driven by pure feminist agenda. But I wonder if it's like, well, there's some tenderness and compassion that is that makes the story more interesting. But yeah. you've got, you've got a, a a woman. The one I one I've been watching lately it's called Broadchurch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can recommend it because I haven't watched it all yet. I'm like three episodes in. So far, it's it's fine. But the the woman lead detective, um, it seems as though she's got a stay at home husband mm-hmm. that's a dad. And so he's and he's just happy all the time and playing with the kids and feeding the kids. Oh, babe, when are you going to be home? I'll have dinner ready. And it's just like, and and I see that. And there's, I don't think it's just because I'm a patriarchal bigoted dinosaur. There's something that just 
it makes my stomach turn when I see yes. that. And I'm like, you're a weak man. Right. Don't be weak. Right. You know, right. God didn't make you for that. Now, well, we've, we know, and Wade and I are not stupid. We know there are exceptions in extreme cases. You have, you know, men who are disabled and right. the wife has to be the breadwinner. It's like, granted all that. What we're aiming our fire at is the, the full-throated agenda to right. completely invert the that created order. Was not doing that to defend Christopher Reeves, who was paralyzed, and his wife had that. You know right. what I mean? It's not about that. It's about this is the way it should be. This yeah, is and they're what presenting should be normal. This, this is good. Right. They're they're like idealized characters. They're wonderful characters, even though people that I know, right? That that whether for for good or bad reasons, whether it's sin or not, I just know that that is a hardship. Yeah. Whenever you have a stay at home dad raising kids and you have a breadwinner mom. It is very hard on both of them. Yes, I've not seen a case where that where that was going great. Now I'm sure the people, anybody that might hear this, would be like, "Well, I know a guy." There I'm are like, 330 million people in the United States. You're going to find one, just like you're going to find that one daughter who was able to lead her her alcoholic father to church. And so, but that doesn't mean kids should lead parents. Yeah. So there are patterns. God made God made patterns, and this is the way that they should be. And we're we are wise when we go with the pattern. That doesn't mean there's never an exception that can be a God honoring exception. Right. But the thing that I, that really that really irks me about the Christian world right now is that we want to normalize the exception and we want to uh, marginalize the normal, and we want to just kind of invert everything. So like we're going to find that one exception and say, look here, see here, here's this, here's an article about this. That's here's why a you story need to have this. a business class at your church for women on how to become better executives because of this one time where a guy was. Disabled and his wife had to get a job. Like yeah, it's like, like we we've lost the ability to just enjoy and receive the givenness of creation the way it is, and to say God made it this way. We love it, delight in it, celebrate it, learn to live with it, build within it, create within it. What we want to do is find the outlier and let the outlier dictate policy for everything. Right. And hard it's cases, not the way Scripture thinks. Yeah, the, 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 we we hard cases make bad law. Yes. First uh, Timothy. So this is where Paul does what you're describing. Um, he he finds the pattern and exalts it. First Timothy two twelve. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Oh, so you got to have babies yeah, now so to now be I, saved? Yeah, but if I'm, okay, so great, I'm sterile. Thanks, Single Paul. women, barren women, well, we can't be saved. Thanks a lot, you sexist. Exactly. So he roots it in <laughs> creation, which is the, the the main pattern. The main pattern is Adam and Eve. That's how God formed human beings. But then the secondary pattern is women are sanctified through bearing children. Well, what about women who can't have children, Wade? They exist. And yet this scripture, I, here it is. I open up my Bible, and what do you know? There it is, 1 Timothy 2, 15. Mm -hmm. And Paul doesn't seem embarrassed about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to be either. Um, yeah, so I... You know, I'm preparing my, my Christmas... Well, recording this on December 20th. I'm, my Christmas sermon is, is about... Um, there's the this battle between the seed of the woman and seed of the serpent. Yeah. You know, it's prophesied in Genesis 3, 15 uh, to Eve... And then Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 7, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And then uh, comes to Matthew um, when it, that is fulfilled. And then there's a, another picture in Revelation um, that 
of Revelation 12 where you see like the yeah she's about to give birth yeah, and the, the dragon the serpent's waiting. there ready to devour yeah. this vision that John sees and so it's that doesn't mean that you every woman must have X amount of children to right. be saved it means that this is this is the feminine pattern yes and God in his glorious providence saw fit to bring redemption into the world through the fulfillment of a feminine pattern yes and there's a when women align it doesn't mean that 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 is what the thing that saves them, but it is the it is the pattern of femininity that is good and glorious for women to to embrace. So I I I just I love being around right. women that know who they are, they know what their calling is, and they celebrate, they love it. And I'm like, man, that's so refreshing to right. be around because that's so rare. Because if you love actual womanhood, you will love God, and if you hate actual womanhood, you will end up hating God. Yeah. You may do it deep, deep, deep down where you don't actually name it hatred of God. But if you hate motherhood, if you hate faithfulness to your husband, <clears throat> if you hate staying at home and loving your husbands, as Titus 2 says, deep, deep down, you do hate God. Yeah. You hate how he made the world. You're angry at him. You're ticked at him that he made womanhood this way. Um, I, uh, Hannah and Ruth and Naomi, actually, in the Ruth story, those are all three women who... In one, to one degree or another, had something to grieve. Ruth lost her husband without having any children. Naomi lost her husband and her sons and now is without children. And all she has is this Moabite Ruth. Hannah did not have children at the beginning of 1 Samuel and wanted them. And all three of these women, to one degree or another, get children or get family back. You know, uh, Naomi gets them through Ruth's uh, son, Obed. And it's you're supposed to feel like the musical swell in the mm -hmm. scripture as that happens. You're supposed to smile and get a little tear down your cheek when that happens. And God doesn't seem embarrassed by that. God doesn't say, well, now some women, you know, they found, yeah. they, they were CPAs and they found real good fulfillment there too. Imagine if we did that with like masculine stories. Yeah. You know, you've got like, you know, uh, you know, the sports movie stereotype. And it's like, you know, at the very end, it's like they win the championship. Everybody's hugging and high-fiving and celebrating. And then somebody's like, now hold on. Not everybody gets to play in a championship. <laughs> yeah. There are those that have lost games, right. and we need to we need to make sure that some men love baking. That's right. <laughs> not not every man, man even loves football, right? So we have, it's like it's it's absurd that we have we have to do this, and I do it because I care for the people that hear me, and I want to make sure that, they, that I'm understood. Yeah, yeah. But it is annoying yeah. that we are, we're always having to accommodate this thing that this this mindset that is. Anti-feminine. Yeah. So, okay. So generally God has not made women... Just time check here. It's been an hour. All right. So we'll wrap up here in just a moment. Generally God has not made women to lead men. That does not mean that every single woman right now who is a manager of a department or who's leading an agency or who is uh, whatever, that does not mean every single one of them is in sin. However, I would say as you're starting out your life, understand this pattern. Devour the scriptures and trust the God who made womanhood and order your life if you're a young woman, order your life in such a way that motherhood and home will be prioritized because that's what God says. It's what he says in Titus 2. It's the pattern he lays out throughout scripture. This is godly womanhood. Uh, and godly womanhood will be hard, just as godly manhood is hard. Sure it is. But it will be hard in the right direction. Yeah. It's one thing to be going to the gym and lifting weights, and it's like, man, this is hard. It's another thing to get something amputated. Yeah, that's a different kind of hard. The womanhood that is pointed in the right direction is hard in a fulfilling, gratifying, God-honoring way. Um, and especially when it's a Christian woman who already knows her destiny is secure and she's, 
her her identity is in Christ, to then be honoring Christ with her femininity the way he intended it. He gave her her femininity as a gift. He knit her together in her mother's womb Mm. as a woman, gave her all of the things that he intends women to have inside and out. She has inner and outer beauty as a woman. Don't, Don't then decide, well, you know, I should probably join the Marines or leave that door open. Point your femininity in the right direction. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? And then I'll, I'll. Uh, I mean, you've, you're, you have an older daughter. I don't want to. I guess we shouldn't. I shouldn't dox you or anything. But like, my my oldest daughter is twelve, and you've got. Do you, has any anything any closing thoughts you want to give in that? But like, if we've got a listener who's got a 16, 17, 18, mm-hmm. 19, 20 year old, or if we've got a listener who is that sixteen to twenty year old young woman, mm-hmm. any. Practical no, or not a just just a word of of, of appreciation and, and love for my daughter. Um, she may she listens to this podcast, so maybe uh, maybe she'll listen to this. She did so. this one probably. No, I'm just kidding. She's <laughs> no, she, she. I'm sure she'll love it. Well, so she's um, she's a uh, an adult. She's 18 years old, and uh, she's you know off studying at college right now. And there's a um, so but she's home for Christmas uh, right now, and they're just. Her feminine presence changes our home in, yeah. in all the best ways. Uh, there have been so many times over the last few months where it's dinner time and it's me and my wife and my three boys. Mm. And I was just thinking like, man, I miss her because she she just rounds it out. Yeah. It's just like it's this this table is not complete at dinner time without her here. And when she's there, and I'm like, oh, because it's like it's not just that a child that I love is home. It's like there's an increased presence of a feminine spirit yeah. that helps balance things out and adds beauty and life to our home because like the feminine presence is life-giving. That's yeah. when women are life-givers and she's the life-giving presence and it's wonderful. Um, so that's that is a that's the sort of thing that we're we're talking about. And it 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 is not just a girl in the room. Right. But it is a feminine young woman in the room. And that's and I love the fact that she's feminine and she loves being feminine and then there's, she's not ashamed of it. And, um, it's wonderful. And that, that's the sort of thing that is missing in the world. I think we just have a, a, there's, there is a hunger for femininity and motherhood. And the same is true of fatherhood too, but in a different way, but there's a, we're, we're, there's a missing motherliness from women yeah. that is, um, is evident in the world, and we're, we're impoverished for it. We're going to have a generation of men and women coming down the pike here who will be starved for godly femininity. Mm-hmm. We used to hold up in this society as something to be desired, godly femininity. Uh, th- there's a reason why. This doesn't mean that every single you know, societal institution of the 1940s and 50s was just great. But when you watch old sitcoms, you know, like I love Andy Griffith's show, there's a reason why most of the moms are sweet and loving and gentle and caring for children. And when we stopped honoring that and instead, you know, started acting as though women can be interchangeable with men, uh, when we got more of it in the actual lives of real people, I, I already know... <laughs> I already know of instances very close to me where mother hunger is is an ever-present reality that you you want Titus 2. You wished you had Titus 2 
in your mother. And so if you've got, yeah, a daughter, or you are that young woman right now who can be that, just know you can make an eternal change yep. in souls. Uh, I mean, the good that a godly mom or a godly woman can do, even if God doesn't bless her with children, but just having the shape of motherliness, Christian motherliness, mm-hmm. the good she can do, eternal good she can do in her church and in her community is incalculable. Yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not as though, okay, we've got a we've got a mother or feminine deficit. Let's just crank that up a notch. It is like we need men being more fatherly, women being more motherly, and when those two that complementarity is present, um, that that is the recipe where that is at least conforms to the way God made the world and infused with the Spirit and redemption. Um, it can be it can make a generational impact, um, but that's. But there has to be a conscious acknowledgement and recognition that I'm going to fully dive in and live this out. Right. Can't just fall backwards into it because, like, well, my husband got the four-year degree, so I guess he'll get the job in our case. Like, it yeah. has to be a value. Yeah, it's got to – yeah, exactly. Agreed. I'll uh, – I'll, normally I, I try to come up with some pithy statement here, listeners, but I'm just going to end with Scripture. This is Titus chapter 2. I'm just going to read – uh, three verses, Titus chapter two, verses three through five. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Thank you for listening to the Current Reality Podcast. Send us any feedback to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. And for more information about the King's Domain Gendered Virtue Men and Women Who Take Dominion conference in April of next year, check the link in the show notes. See you next time. Stop.